Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200. All right, welcome to the Quick Media Come Follow Me series. In this episode, we are covering the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Setting the stage on this, again, I want to backtrack to what we were kind of going over before in at the end of 2 Kings where we had King Zedekiah, who had a choice to make. He was going to make the choice between Egypt and Babylon. Remember that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is the one that put King Zedekiah on the throne. So he is a puppet king, and Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, is a vassal state to the Babylonians, right, into King, king Nebuchadnezzar. Now, there are very strong ties in many ways to Egypt, and so, and that is culturally, that is trade. There are probably a lot of Jews in Egypt uh, already. And so what you see when King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and, and Zedekiah has chosen to ally with Egypt, who doesn't help him uh, against the Babylonians, is that a lot of the Jews end up going down into Egypt. There's also a record of 80,000 priests going down into probably Saudi into Saudi Arabia or into the land of the east. But a lot of people go down into Egypt. Jeremiah ends up down there for a while. Uh, Uriah, who is another prophet, ends up going down there, and then he's found and brought back and killed. But And then, and then of course, a lot of other individuals go down into Egypt. And, and we see the same thing happened, of course, at the time of Christ, right? They go down to Egypt. Why? Well, they're not just getting out of Herod's area, right? They're, they're, they've got to go somewhere where there's refuge, where there would be others that would welcome them in. So there's, there's always this strong tie with Egypt. I've been trying to make that point from the very beginning uh, of, uh, since the Exodus, that there's a, there's a, a, a large uh, number of Jews that are probably there. In fact, a lot from the tribes of Ephraim and I believe Manasseh as well, apparently do not leave in the Exodus and are actually there in Egypt still. They remain in Egypt uh, and, and end up coming back later on. We get this, I, I believe, in the book of the Chronicles, that, that they end up coming back later on, and there's, they have a stronger tie there, right? That, that family, even though maybe they're slaves, maybe they're, uh, maybe not, I don't know, but there's, there are others from the tribes of Manasseh and from uh, from and or maybe they go back down there and then come back up. I, I don't know, but they're they've Ephraim and Manasseh have strong ties to Joseph, right? That whole heritage of Joseph and and him ruling there in Egypt. All right, so when this happens, there are a large number of the Jews that are taken in to Babylon. Again, there are many that remain behind in Canaan, the land of Canaan. And, and then we're going to see what happens here. There's, there's, there is a, uh, there's only a few, really, comparatively. There, there are only a few individuals, a small minority of individuals that are going to end up going back to Jerusalem, back to the land of Judah. 
most of them remain in Babylon and in the larger eventual Persian Empire, right? So what we have is King Nebuchadnezzar uh, raises, right, destroys the temple, takes the has taken the the all of the temple objects, which is a huge amount of treasure, right? A huge amount of treasure, and and has destroyed Jerusalem and taken away a large number of the Jews, but not all. And then we end up seeing Babylon decrease in power and Persia rises in power. And so they come in then and they conquer Babylon. And now Babylon is under the Persian Empire. And under the Persian Empire, that's where we begin here with uh, with under, under uh, King Cyrus, uh, that's where we begin with the book of Ezra and with the book of Nehemiah. Now, later on, and, and this, this story of Esther is set in about, I'm going to say about 70-ish, give or take a couple decades, years after Ezra and Nehemiah, um, that, then that happens also in the Persian world. It's not in Babylon, it's in Shusha. But, but it's, it's, that also happens under a Persian king. We get to that next week, right? So that's kind of the, the chronology there that we get. But again, important to understand, the 10 tribes have been removed 100 years before, plus 130 years before, more or less, uh, and, and have been scattered abroad. The tribes of Benjamin and Judah are remaining in the southern kingdom, a large swath of them are, are removed by King Nebuchadnezzar and transplanted over into Babylon and, and maybe other areas under the Babylonian Empire. Um, the Persians take over Babylon and the territories there. Therefore, the Jews are under, the, under Persian rule. And when they are going to come back here to build the temple again, the second temple, only a small minority of the Jews come back. And so you end up with a large number of Jews that are in the Persian Empire and probably a lot in Egypt as well. And so you have this diaspora, right, where, where there, there's many that are scattered. And until really in Persia, which is Iran, you know, that's the heart of Persia is Iran, then, then you have really until the Ayatollah Khomeini, Khomeini in, the, in, in, the, in the 1970s, you had a large number of Jews that still remained in Persia and, and that ended up, you know, over, over the 20th century and some before, obviously, but, but ended up leaving there, uh, leaving Iran. And, and so you have, you know, 2,000, 2,500 years, 2,600 years, 25, 2,600 years of this history of the Jews in Persia and other places in the Middle East that were never a part of Jerusalem. They had never been a part of Jerusalem. Maybe the, the original one, when they were taken by King Nebuchadnezzar, obviously they were. But those individuals that, that were sent to Babylon, very few came back to Jerusalem. Most of them remained in, in the Babylonian Empire and then, of course, the Persian Empire. And they stayed there for 2,500 years. And so there's all this heritage and this history uh, that, that, that is a part of that. And that's what the book of Esther is going to be. 
The reason I bring this up and the reason I think it's so important to understand is because of who was left behind when King Nebuchadnezzar took the Jews, the, the Jews that he did, right? Who, who was left behind? Did they believe the same thing? Did everybody believe what was being done in Jerusalem at the time of Lehi? Because there seems to be a direct correlation to Lehi's preaching of the Son of God, a Redeemer, and, and them wanting to kill him in, in Jerusalem. Right, so there, there's a loss of the of the of an understanding to me as I see this, a loss of a belief in a redeemer that is going to be born uh, to the world, and and maybe it's just taken on at that time with Deuteronomus as a Messiah who is going to be a political Messiah to overthrow the oppressors, right? Which is something we see a big return to it with liberation theology in the 20th and now 21st century. I, I, and if you, if, if you read the Book of Mormon and really study it with this understanding, I believe you'll see the same thing over and over again. A, a fall away from the idea of the Son of God and a Redeemer as the Messiah and a return to uh, this idea of a political Messiah that will overthrow uh, the shackles of, 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 of whatever power is, is taking over Jerusalem or or over the covenant people of God. Very dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing, and I think it's something that we should be gleaning from the Book of Mormon to understand our current day and understanding how precious the doctrine of Christ is and how easily it can be removed, even within the church. All right, so with that, let's go to uh, uh, then to the Book of Ezra here. And... We see here in the summary, King Cyrus of, of Persia lets the Jews go back to Jerusalem. Again, small amount. Let's keep that clear. To Jerusalem, everybody else wants to remain there in Babylon. Uh, let, lets the Jews go back to Jerusalem to build the temple. Cyrus returns the vessels of the house of the Lord taken by Nebuchadnezzar. So, so that they've got, the reason this is important is because you could say, well, they could just make new ones. Well, they didn't have the money. They didn't have the wealth. Right. Remember what, what, the, how, how these vessels were produced over time was, was with immense wealth under Solomon and what they would have had previously to that and built up previously to that from Moses all the way down to King David for the tabernacle. Right? And, and so you're talking about thousands of objects that are gold and silver and, and very precious metals that are a part of the temple. Very, very expensive. So we get here in verse 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Again, this is how you talk in those times. Obviously, the Persian Empire was great, immense, the largest of its time, but not the whole world, right? And he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Okay, so he feels inspired to do this. He feels that this is what needs to be done. 
So you see here in verse 5, then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, right? Those are the two tribes, the two primary tribes from the, the kingdom of Judah. And the priests and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised, to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And then we see here at the bottom here, in the last verse, here in verse 11, and all the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. Right, again, think of all how much, how precious that is, how much that is worth. All these did Sheshbazar bring up with him of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. So then here in chapter 3, they rebuild an altar, they reinstitute the sacrifices. In verse 4, you see here, they kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written. It's, it's odd to me in these books, you don't see, we, we fall off from a lot of the, the discussion of the Day of Atonement which is around the same time you can say it's a part of the Feast of Tabernacles, I suppose. It's not technically part of the Feast of Tabernacles, but it's part of the same thing, part of the same period of time when the pilgrimage would come to Jerusalem in the fall. And, and you'd have Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. You'd have the Days of Awe, the Feast of Tabernacles. And you'd have, you'd have uh, uh, the Day of Atonement in there. But being the most precious and important day of the year in the Jewish calendar, it's odd that it is oftentimes not mentioned in the later books. Now, here in chapter 4, we see that the Samaritans offer help. Remember who the Samaritans are. They are, many of them have a very similar religion. They want to be part of this. There is a heritage there uh, that comes from the 10 tribes that were taken away. Some of them are still there. Uh, they are mixed with other peoples that the Assyrians had, who conquered the northern, the northern kingdom had brought in and mixed in. The capital was Samaria, therefore they are called the Samaritans. It's no longer called Israel. But they want to be a part of this. They want to be involved. They want to also offer sacrifice. Well, here's a problem that you're going to get with that. And this is so key to understanding the Old Testament and even the New Testament. And that is the doctrine of what happens in the temple. The ordinances, the rituals, the dramas that happen. This is the core doctrine of the religion. This is where things happen that are most sacred. Well, if for the Jews, regardless of what they may have lost already by then, which probably is quite a bit in terms of ordinances and, and, and what they've lost from the temple, because remember, We'll get to Jeremiah eventually, but going back to the time of Lehi and Jeremiah, the priests are corrupt. The temple is corrupt. The ordinances have been changed. And we see these types of things going on even all the way back to the time of Isaiah and King Hezekiah. So the Jews don't want the Samaritans coming in, right? Even though they, they both worship, well, worship Jehovah because there are different traditions. There are different rituals and and. And, and, and different beliefs there. So it's, and you have a different line of priesthood. So do, do, they, do they want that mixed in? Well, they don't. And they, they, have, they have a very, um, they have quite a disdain for the Samaritans. And, and we see that all the way down to the time of, of Jesus Christ. So they say in verse two here, let us build with you for we seek your God as ye do. 
and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Eshar Hadon, king of Ashur, which brought us up hither. Right? They want to be a part of this. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua, or Yeshua, and the re- or Joshua, and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. So again, they're trying to keep everything pure here to them. They want as much purity as they can get. So what happens is the Samaritans write to the new king. This is no longer Cyrus as they're, as they're laying this foundation down. It is uh, Ahasuerus, which would be a different Xerxes or Xerxes uh, and a different Ahasuerus from the time of Esther that we'll get to next week. But they're asking, hey, let's stop this. We, we, let's stop the building of this. They're trying to stop the Jews from building this. Now think about the political ramifications of this at the time. You have, you have the Samaritans and you have other Jews that are already there. Remember, again, we can't just be black and white on, on the Jews coming back to Jerusalem. There were many that were still remaining behind. They may or may not have the exact same beliefs, as though, by the way, as those that came back to Babylon. There may be different traditions there. You, you can see the differences in, in just in politics and, and, and worldviews. If you just go to the major cities in the U.S. or anywhere in the world as compared to the country, as compared to, to you know, small town America or, or anywhere else, right? There's usually quite a discrepancy there. And so how much, how distinct was that? for those in Jerusalem as, and, and the Jews in Jerusalem at the time of Lehi, where he was preaching as compared to other lands around in, in, in the kingdom of Judah. I think you have to look at that nuance, right? It's not black and white. We get, we, we tend to pull what we get from the text here without trying to put in back in the context of these peoples. So they wrote unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And then we get something that we, that we usually only see in the Book of Mormon, and that is, that is letters that are written, right? And so we get, we get a copy of that, and here's what the, one of the letters says that they wrote to the king of, of, uh, of Persia. Be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee to us are come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and the bad city. Right? So again, politically, they understand that if there is a new city of Jerusalem built up as there was before, with a wall and a temple, that they're going to probably be displaced. And, and, the, and the political power is going to move over to the Jews that have now come back to Jerusalem. And they have set up the walls thereof and joined the foundations. Right, So they're, they're, they're beginning to build this city back up. Be it known now unto the king that if this city be builded and the wall set up again, then will they not pay toll, tribute, and custom, and so thou shalt endamage the revenue of the kings. So if they get this thing built up, they're going to turn on the king of Persia, is what the Samaritans are saying, and they're going to be rebellious and they're not going to pay their taxes to, uh, to their tribute. So the king says, fine, we're not, we're not going to allow this anymore. He's, he's kind of scared off on this. He's worried about this 
warning here. So he says, give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease and that this city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from me. Take heed now that ye fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the kings? So they take, the Samaritans take this letter back. They, by the way, they never say the Samaritans. They say the people of the land, which is a whole other discussion. But at least it is implied here that this is the Samaritans, maybe the landowners who are the Samaritans now in this area. But we talked about the people of the land who were probably the lords at the time of, of, of Zedekiah and the Deuteronomists and Josiah. Um, but so there might be some nuance there. There might be some nuance there. So they bring the letter back to the Jews and they make them cease building the city and the temple and everything else. So then we get in the, in the chapter 5, the following chapter, we get the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. These are both books that are in the Old Testament as well. And so they write and they prophesy. And with these prophecies, we then get Zerubbabel uh, and Jeshua who go back and they begin again the building of the temple. And the Samaritans try to stop it again. And so the elders and others of the Jews here that are building up the temple and the city, they write to the king of Persia and they explain what's happening that in the first year of the reign of Cyrus, that he made a decree, that he gave them all of their temple objects and they've obviously got them and said, go back and build the temple. And so the king of Persia says, okay, fine, go ahead, do it. So then the elders of the Jews and others, they write back to the king of Persia. And they say, wait a minute, they go through the explanation that they had been, why they had been taken into Babylon in the first place. Persia takes over and in the first year of, the, of, of King Cyrus, uh, he made a decree that they should go back to Jerusalem and build the temple and build the city. And, and they say at the end of the letter here, they say, look, now, therefore, it seemed good to the king, if it seemed good to the king, let there be a search made in the king's treasure house, which is there at Babylon, whether it be so that a decree was made of Cyrus the king to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning this matter. So look, there's evidence. They believe there's evidence there. Uh, they know there's evidence there, likely. And, and so he says, look, go, go look in, in the record-keeping in the king's treasure house. So we get to chapter six. Then Darius the king made a decree and search was made in the house of the rolls where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Akmetha in the palace that is in the province of the Medes, a roll and therein was a record thus written. And this is how they're, they're quoting it. In the first year of Cyrus, the king of the same Cyrus, the king made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations thereof be strongly laid. The height thereof, threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof, threescore cubits. And then they go into some other specifics here, but it's they find the record of King Cyrus and his decree for the building of the, of the temple at Jerusalem. So he says in verse 7, Let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Now, 
So they go back and they start building this. They've got the, the support of the king of Persia who rules over them. And the Samaritans are still very unhappy. And they're going to try and stop this. Think about why they would stop this. This is interesting, right? It's kind of like, again, it's political. It's, 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 it's belief systems, right? It's religion against religion to a certain degree. But it's also political. And, and it's, they don't want this built up where they're not going to have any part of this. They're going to lose the power in the land. Right? They're going to lose their power in the land. And so you say, well, they're evil. They're bad. How would they stop this? Well, yes and no. You know, I mean, they've got families. They're, they're, they're going to be harmed economically from this. And they certainly are. Uh, they're going to be, many of them are probably going to have to move further north. Um, you know, it's, it's politics. It's change. So then in verse 15, and this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which is in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. So, of course, there's a, a dedication that is created here or, or that is performed. Now, it's interesting that you get who, who's participating and how are they participating in this dedication, right? You get in the children of Israel, who are they talking about? And then you have the priests and the Levites who would be obviously there with the temple and the rest of the children of the captivity. So is that everybody else that was in Babylon and under, under Persian rule? Uh, I don't know. They kept the dedication of this house of God with joy and offered at the dedication of this house of God and 100 bullocks, 200 rams, 400 lambs for a sin offering for all Israel, 12 he-goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. So there's still that sense, right? Even though there is a... a, a they're, they're, this is such an important principle. They're still building toward the ideal. Now, certainly there are people from different tribes that are with them. It's not all Judah and Benjamin. You see Lehi in Jerusalem in the time of, of Zedekiah and, and the captivity of Jerusalem, right? It's shortly before the captivity of Jerusalem. And so it's you have others that have come down from the northern kingdom that reside in the kingdom of Judah and in Jerusalem itself. But they're building toward the same thing. And so you still have the high priests that have got the 12 stones that represent the 12, uh, you know, the, the, on their breastplate, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. It's all still built the same way toward the ideal. It still is represented going all the way back into their history, in their scripture, going back to Jacob, who is Israel, and his 12 sons, and the family, the tribe that is built underneath them. Now, we're going to dip outside of the, of the assigned chapters here, looking at chapter 9. Just in the summary here, many Jews intermarry with the Canaanites and others and follow their abominations. So again, this idea of purity, uh, which is very strong, especially since you begin with the Deuteronomic uh, books, um, you, you have this, uh, this what, what is the problem there? Right? What is the problem? Is it really that you're marrying outside of Israel? I mean, Moses married outside of Israel. Or, or is it that what you're doing when you marry outside of Israel that you're bringing in wickedness? You're bringing in other gods, other idols 
that's really the focus, I think, of, of what you have here. But again, they're going out and they're doing the same thing. It just kind of never goes away. Now, we get to the book of Nehemiah, and, and just a little trivia here from the book of Nehemiah. Originally, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah were the exact same book. There was no difference between them. It was one scroll, so to speak. And it wasn't until much later that they ended up breaking, pulling these apart and, and creating two different books. That's both the Jews and the Christians that ended up creating two separate books. Now we see here just a little uh, stage setting here for the book of Esther. In verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, or Shusha, the palace. Right, That is going to be where the book of Esther takes place, is, is in Shushan, where the palace is for the king of Persia. Now, again, you come down here to verse 7 in, in, in chapter 1, and you get the same thing. It's, it's a constant falling away, and, well, let's just read this, verse 7. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Hmm. Okay, what does that mean? Since when? And what have they not kept? What statues have they not kept? Is it they, did, did they get rid of some of them? Right? Did they, did they chip away at some of the rituals and the ordinances? Well, they certainly did this in the time of Jeremiah. So if the last time they had the temple in place before this was a time of corruption and was a time of corrupt priests and Levites and rituals and ordinances, what is being reinstituted here? Now, again, you say, well, no, this is all done out of the prophets and everything. Okay, but that doesn't mean they have everything. It doesn't mean it's what it was, say, for example, back in the time of Isaiah or before. We don't know exactly what has changed here. right? There were massive reforms under King Josiah. There, were, there was corruption in the temple under Jeremiah and probably before. So... What do they have here again? Right? So again, we have dealt very corruptly against thee, have not kept the commandments, okay? So they still have the commandments, nor the statues, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. In verse 8, remember I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If he transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. I, I think that that's a real interesting concept. Because this continually happens, right? It happens in the northern kingdom when they fall away from the gospel, when they fall away from Jehovah. It happens in the southern kingdom of Judah when Nebuchadnezzar comes in. What, 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 has, what transgressions have really happened? What, what happens in society or in any church when, when there is sin and it's at a broad level Part of the reasoning behind that is because the leaders, mostly kings, have changed things. 
and they begin to change the ordinances in the temple and perhaps many of the objects in the temple or inserting other objects in the temple. There is a, a change from what? Well, a change from core doctrine, a change from core doctrines like the doctrine of Christ that, that would be changed. And what happens when that, that comes about? There is a great, there's either destruction and or a great scattering, usually both. Right, and that, that's what we're told. He says to Moses, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. And so the idea of scattering comes with the idea of, to me, I'm going to read between the lines here, a change in doctrine in the doctrine of Christ and transgression. So what does the gathering of Israel mean? The opposite. Right. Well, well, the opposite, uh, the gathering, whether you're talking about geographically or at the temples across the globe uh, or baptism here on earth for new converts, what, what is that gathering? What does that mean? Well, that's the opposite. We are, we are trying to assimilate to the gospel principles, to the true doctrines. You know, we don't do a perfect job of that, certainly. But, but that idea of gathering is now, there, there's already been, it's a covenant. It's covenant, right? What is covenant? Cut is, covenant is karaperit, right? It's a cutting. It's a separation. And then there must be a gathering or a bringing together, which means covenant, covenire, which is bring together, right? To come together. And, and so the scattering happens, has to happen first, and then, and then there must be a gathering to have the fulfillment of the covenant, of, of, of covenant or the covenant people. And so as we gather Israel right now, it is a matter of going against those transgressions. It's a matter of focusing on core doctrines and having us all assimilate, which is basically means that we're each becoming more like Christ by following those doctrines and those rituals and those practices and those ordinances. And he says in verse 9, But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though they were of you cast out unto the uttermost parts of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Jesus says the same thing in, in, in the last week of his life, right? At the temple. right? How many times have I put out my wings to try and gather you as, as a hen gathereth her chicks, right? It's, it's, it's the gathering. It, it, the gathering means coming to one place, but also to one baptism, one faith, one doctrine. We're going to go all the way to chapter four here. And here we have the enemies, the people of the land, the Samaritans, maybe others, Right, that are trying to prevent them from build, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, which is, you know, we can look at that like Zion, right? Nehemiah arms the laborers and keeps the work progressing. All right, so what do they do here? Well, now we get an idea of some of the enemies, right? These are the Canaanites, these are the Samaritans, these are, these are those that are in the area here. We have here uh, the Ammonites, and we have here the Arabians, 
the Ashdodites uh, and, and others that are conspiring to stop all of this. And so you have all of these different tribes that are, that are adversaries to the Jews. Now, now think about this for a minute in, in, in terms of culture and in terms of belief. As the church grows and the gospel is spread, there's, there's an automatic, we're, we're putting the word of God out to the world, right? We are adding to the world. We are, we are in a little way trying to change culture toward a culture of Zion and, and, and spread the gospel. So we are putting something into the global arena, in, in, into the mortal arena, so to speak, right? So others are going to say, we don't want that. And there are going to be many different groups that are going to say, stop. Do not add this out into the culture. We don't want to hear it. We don't want you telling it to others. There's a battle for what? For hearts minds, hearts and minds in, in the world. And, and so there, there's, you know, culture is kind of like geography. Belief systems are like geography. Well, the, the more you encroach, the more you put that out there, the more there's a sense of, wait a minute, you're encroaching on me and, and my people, right? And, and so it's, there, there's a battle that comes out there. And here you have the same idea. There, that We have a geography here with Jerusalem where the Jews are now coming in and, and they're trying to build the temple of God and, and the city and the walls, and therefore they are encroaching directly on others. They may not be preaching the gospel to all of them, but politically... They're, they're, they're making a stand, and, and they're putting things out there where they're going to definitely have some power. And you can say power, not, not all power is bad, right? But it's, they're, they're establishing themselves in the geography. We do the same thing today, right? Where, where we're trying to establish more ourselves, not by force, but by word. And... We need to defend that word, what has already been built up. We need to both go out and preach the word and, and bring righteousness and goodness to the world and service and love and charity, right? Faith, hope, and charity. But we also need to defend what is already there. And that's what I get out of, out of this story here. This is what we get here. Be not afraid of them. That's the, the tribes that are after them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren. If you listen to the rest of my podcast and, and other things culturally, you know that I have a big message out there on this. You need to fight for your brethren and, and, and not be um, appeasing to counter doctrines of the church. Fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives and your houses. This sounds like Captain Moroni. He says something very similar. So it came to pass here in verse 16, from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields and the bows and the habergens and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. Right, so what were they doing here? So they they which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. Now, this is this is exactly what Elder Holland said to BYU last summer. 
right? He was talking specifically about the family doctrine, the doctrine of the family. But this is exactly what he was saying. And he was repeating the words of El then Elder Oaks and Elder Maxwell, who said the exact same thing at BYU, which was you have a, a hand with a trowel building up the walls of Jerusalem, building up the kingdom of God and, 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 and the doctrine. And that's the preaching and the service and the working and bringing the word out to the world and living according to the gospel. And then the other hand has a weapon in its hand. And in, in, in the case of Elder Holland, Elder Oaks, and Elder Maxwell, they talked about muskets, right? A little more modern. But it's the same exact thing here. And so those critics that went after Elder Holland last year, who was just all he was talking about was something exactly the same thing that we're getting here in the book of Nehemiah, is, is to defend the gospel. That's all it is. Defend the gospel. Defend the walls of Jerusalem. Defend the doctrines. And we don't do, honestly, I, I, I don't do a good enough job. We don't do a good enough job of defending these things. And if we don't do a better job of this, then others, honestly, both inside and outside of the church, are, are going to tear those walls down. It's up to us. It's not just the brethren. We are participants. And, and we are building up the walls and, and, and building up the kingdom of God. And, and we need to have a weapon defending not that you're out going after everybody. It's you're defending the doctrines. You're defending the kingdom of God. You're defending Zion. All right, over to chapter 6. The Jews finished the construction of the wall then. And then chapter 8, Ezra reads and interprets the law of Moses to the people. They keep the Feast of Tabernacles again. This is like a big dedication. There's probably a drama going on here. They're, they're reading again here in front of the temple. And you get here in verse Six, as he opens the book, it says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is King Benjamin's speech. Right? It's not just that everybody has the exact same spirit and they're all answering in one voice the same thing, like like a bunch of zombies, right? They're there, it's a ritual. This is ritual, and they're all answering the same thing because they know what to say. Right? That doesn't make it any less important. But that's, that's the same thing that's happening here in front of the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is exactly probably what was going on at the time that King Benjamin gave his speech. And of course, as you go through this, you're making covenants in front of the temple again, um, just as Moses did when he first started out doing this. And so you see the term this day here in verse 9. This day is holy unto the Lord your God. You see that, that phrase, this day, oftentimes, almost always it seems like to me, but oftentimes at least with, with the idea of covenant. And so they've established the temple. They've established the walls of, the, of Jerusalem. They're now going to build out uh, from there, and they've got their anchor point, right? They've got their gathering point. So here now then with this, this group that has come back from Babylon, the minority of the Jews that were there in the first place, they, uh, they build up Jerusalem, they build up the walls, they build up the temple. They have their gathering spot. And, and now, you know, another 550, 60, 70 years from there, from that time forward is when we see 
Jesus come in there. The temple that he goes to is a little bit different because it's been added upon quite a bit, especially with King Herod. And so there are some differences there. But this is historically what we would call the second temple um, that eventually is, is, it's the same temple, so to speak, that we have uh, Jesus at where he's teaching. I'll talk to you next time. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners, also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.